On today's Locked on Jayhawks, Hunter Dickinson is a Kansas Jayhawk. Let's go further into that discussion about him picking KU, his scouting report, how he fits in, how it changes this team into being one of the top tier national title contenders, all that and more on today's Locked on Jayhawks. You are Locked on Jayhawks, your daily podcast on the Kansas Jayhawks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. on KLWN in Lawrence with Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get any of your podcasts. And on today's edition of Locked On Jayhawks, we're going to be going over Hunter Dickinson coming to KU. Scouting report, rehash into that. Obviously, we had our Hunter Dickinson deep dive, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, something like that. You can always check that out and uh, make sure you're subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, and you can find that there. Uh, But we'll go further into that, kind of rehash some of the scouting report stuff and then uh, into the fit at Kansas. Obviously, you know he's going to come in and be like the guy and and be a starter, but how does it affect the other players in the starting lineup and, and in the rotation kind of in general, and how much does this change? change Kansas from being a good team to a possible legit tier one national title contender. We'll get all of that on today's episode. So first things first, Hunter Dickinson just picks Kansas. This is a huge get, obviously, for KU. Um, he was the top available target available uh, at this point, probably if you combine. I mean, it's hard when you include the freshmen with Ron Holland and McKenzie and Baco. Like maybe those guys have the higher potential or the higher NBA ceiling, right? Or have the potential to help you further in recruiting because you had a good player come in and get drafted well in the NBA, right? Um, But realistically, Hunter Dickinson was by far the top target available via transfer portal and high school recruiting for next season, whether you're looking at it from who's just available right now to even just in general, if you were to include literally every single high school freshman, even the ones that have had already committed, but just the entire class of 2023, and the entire transfer portal class, guys who have and have not committed, if you were just ranking every single player who's going to be at a new destination next year based on their impact to college basketball next season, Hunter Dickinson would be number one on that list, most likely, most likely. Now, I I don't know a ton about maybe the top three to five guys in the class, but this is not seen as a super strong class necessarily. So I don't know that this would be one of those years where you feel like there's an alien who's the number one overall recruit in the country who's going to come to his new school and average, you know, be like Zion Williamson and be a national player of the year, where if that were the case, then yes, that guy would be number one. But I don't know that there is that guy in this year's class. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But with Hunter Dickinson, you don't have the unknown. And so from that standpoint, he'd probably be the number one guy there. And you went out and you landed him. Continues Spring Bill. Spring Bill self continues to, you know, if you go about all of the big time spring gets he has gotten just over the last three years, right? Kevin McCuller was consensusly one of the top two or three transfers in the portal a season ago. KU gets him. Remy Martin was consensusly one of the top two or three, maybe even the number one most prized possession that you could get in the transfer portal a year ago. He lands him. Now with Hunter Dickinson, right? You just get to a point where every year, like he's just landing that guy. We've seen him do it with high school recruits all the time, whether it's been guys who are more diamonds in the rough, like he did it with Devontae Graham and Svi Luke, 
or you also saw him do it with Spring Bill in terms of some of the the top-notch guys. Josh Jackson was a spring commit. Andrew Wiggins was a spring commit. This is when Bill Self is at his best when he is in the spring, and I can't help but think it doesn't have something to do with you know, he, he's probably always a good recruiter, but he closes really well. He closes in basketball games really well, right? He wins close games. He closes in recruiting really well. He is just the ultimate closer. And I think that's what you're seeing here. And, you know, for other guys, maybe they, they put more emphasis. It's, it's not that the KU staff doesn't emphasize recruiting during the season. They obviously do. They're bringing in visits and stuff. But I just can't help but think that, like, with how, I don't know, with how much more time I guess you get during the off season, which you're, you are in the spring, than you do during the season where you're still game planning and prepping and all that stuff, that it gives Bill Self even more time to be a knockout recruiter, and it makes it difficult for other uh, people to catch up to. So, I, I mean, the guys who commit in spring, it becomes even better for Bill Self when that is the case. Uh, but obviously this keeps Kansas in the positive media cycle for recruiting. Where, you know, you're, you're trying to maybe land another recruit here with an open scholarship of McKenzie and Baco or whoever um, that keeps you in the positive cycle of bringing on these big players. Kansas still has one scholarship left after Kyle Cuff departed. Originally, the, the Dickinson commitment was going to fill KU up on scholarships. I'd been adamant in saying the scholarship stuff would work out, though. So they're clearly going for other guys more than just Hunter Dickinson, whether it was visiting with Jalen Tyson or visiting with McKenzie and Baco or uh, anybody else there's been kind of reported interest in and um, they were full up, but it was like, well, they have avenues to open up scholarships, whether it's one of the incoming freshmen ended up not coming here or if it's Kyle Cuff departing or if it's, you know, getting creative with the way you're using your scholarships in terms of the self-imposed stuff or, you know, having NIL money pay for scholarship, whatever it is, there are, there are ways to work around that. And Kansas does end up working around to having another open scholarship here. The only possible negative that uh, I think we, we talked about the other day in the pro con list is um, how this could affect the locker room, I guess. Like, obviously, from an on-court perspective, this is a perfect fit. Hunter Dickinson comes in to a program where he can be the guy. Kansas needs that guy. They were looking for somebody to be a back-to-the-basket scorer. He checks that, fits into perfectly with the Bill Self system. He's a good passer out of the post. He'll make other players better. This is just a really good basketball fit. The only negative you see here is does this affect the locker room at all? And and I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying that's something that you have to monitor. Last year, it was very noted that, yeah, you had Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson maybe making, you know, seven figures off NIL money or, or at least darn near it. And the rest of the team were all supportive. Nobody was jealous. Nobody, it wasn't causing any problems in the locker room. It was a good locker room. Now with this year's team, you have a lot of newcomers, a lot of new faces onto the team. Now, I think in general, um, most players are easy to like, they'll understand, especially like once you go to the NBA, you can't be like, man, I'm only making $5 million. Why is LeBron making $50 million? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't work. So that, that is a mindset you do have to kind of get to. And, and I guess that is something you do have to deal with as, as a player, like you know, the school level, the grassroots level, like you're like, why is that guy getting offers to there and there? And I'm only getting offers to here and there. Maybe for some guys that does affect, uh, their locker room chemistry maybe for others it's just something that annoys them but they deal with right um but probably not everyone in the KU locker room is like man there's a the rumor deal about whatever two years four million dollars to where everybody is like oh I'm all about that like hey I've been here at Kansas why am I not getting paid that and he hasn't been but 
I, I think at the end of the day, most of the KU players probably understand, like, this is just recruiting. This is how things go. You'll get taken care of. And, you know, Hunter Dickinson comes in. He's probably going to be the Big 12 preseason player of the year. Uh, probably going to be like a, you know, preseason All-American national player of the year candidate like so it does make some sense but you just have to make sure there are no factions in the locker room from kind of the the pomp and circumstance that that surrounded the hunter dickinson recruitment with how big of a recruitment it was and and how many other pieces were there of kind of going around just the player decision that you have to make sure that doesn't affect the locker room and that it doesn't cause players to have a rift and be like man i don't know about this dude um like obviously there was the the story from uh, the Roy Williams era when uh, I think it was Chris Humphreys who was like one of the top recruits in the country um he came and visited and he ended up having a really good season I think he went to Minnesota ended up being like first round pick and everything and KU staff Roy Williams all that stuff they really wanted him and the players who showed him on the visit I forget if it was like Keith Langford or, or who um basically um went to Roy Williams after the visit and was like we don't want this kid He's brash. He's cocky. He's telling everybody he can't wait to come in here and lead the team and, you know, points and scoring. And that's at a time when KU has like, you know, Nick Collison and, and all these guys, right? To where it's like, okay, who is this guy? And so they were like, don't recruit him. Um, now, I'm not saying that happened with Hunter Dickinson. I, I, I don't think that happened at all, right? I, I think there are probably a lot of KU players who are like, yes, we, we got this guy. We got this big, all that stuff. I'm just saying that that's an example of you have to make sure that the locker room is good, but Bill self is the best coach in college basketball. And that's why he gets paid big money to put stuff together like this. But it certainly is interesting because now you look at it and this roster is more of a uh, mercenary type roster. We have a good bunch of guys coming in from elsewhere, newcomers where there's not a ton of that continuity that we're used to. Obviously you have it with Dewan Harris and KJ Adams. Uh, but you know, how does that kind of affect everything with the team? If you can get over that, the talent on this roster is pretty pure. That's just something that you got to watch out for. All right, uh, on to uh, the Dickinson Scouting Report rehash in just a second. But first, this episode of Locked on Jayhawks is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need to try the best-tasting protein bar out there. That is Built. You might want to eat healthier during the day, you know. Maybe uh, apples and, you know, fruit and stuff isn't your thing. Or maybe you just want something that, you know, is, is a little bit different than that to change it up during the week, but you don't want to eat the chips and the candy and stuff like that. Well, the good news is built bars are healthy and they taste amazing. They're covered in 100% real dark chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. They taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com, but now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Pharmacy section at Walmart, they have four-bar boxes of cookies and cream, double chocolate bar, coconut puffs, Sam's Club has 13 bar boxes with brownie batter puff, churro puff, so plenty of ways to get them, and you can order them online at built.com. You can thank me later with Built Bar. I don't even put rehash with Hunter Dickinson. Uh, obviously, the stats speak for themselves. They jump off the page, that's for sure. Um, 18 and a half points per game, nine rebounds per game, an assist and a half per game. Uh, 1.8 blocks per game. He shot 56% from the floor, 42% from three on just under two three-point attempts per game, uh, 73% at the free throw line. Year prior on a team that made the Sweet 16, he averaged 18.6 points per game, 
8.6 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists per game, and one and a half blocks per game on 56% shooting, 33% from the three-point range, and 80% on free throws. And then his freshman season, when I believe he was a second-team All-American, uh, he was on a team that made it to the Elite Eight that finished the year number three on Ken Palm, so an elite team, and he averaged over 14 points, seven and a half rebounds, one and a half blocks per game on 60% from the floor. He's you know, really good when you get him down low in those close two-point shots. He's really good on the block in the post. In terms of points per possession in post-up scoring, he was in the 77th percentile last year. He was in the 94th percentile the year prior, and he was in the 86th percentile the year before that. So pretty consistently, he is one of the top players in the country in post-up scoring. He's also solid on pick and rolls, which will be good because you can do that with Dewan Harris. Um, he can even pick and pop because of his ability to, to now shoot. So really it gives you a lot of options with what to do with him. And that's nice. You don't have to just be a one trick pony where defense can be like, OK, even though he's really good at this and it's still going to cause us problems, we just have to defend post ups. It's like, no, he can still do well in pick and roll. He can still do the short rolls because of his passing ability. He can roll all the way to the basket. He can do pick and pops. But I think he is best probably on those post ups and working maybe uh, out of even the high post if you have them like kind of passing away. But again, the pick and pops effective too um so a lot you can do with him he's a good rebounder obviously you know nine rebounds per game this year 8.6 year before 7.4 the year before that um in big 10 only games he ranked fifth in the conference in defensive rebounding rate and 12th in offensive rebounding rate so just kind of good at both ends his 22 and a half percent defensive rebounding rate last season that would have ranked first on last year's ku team and that would have been the third best mark in the last four seasons among KU uh, rotation players. The only ones who were better were 2020 Udoka Azubuke and then 2021 Jalen Wilson when he was playing a lot of five-man, which Jalen was at 22.6% that year, so just a hair better than Hunter Dickinson was. So good defensive rebounder. That'll help you from where you were last year. Uh, good offensive rebounder. 8.4% offensive rebounding rate would have ranked second on last year's team, I believe only to KJ Adams. And that's what's fun there too. I mean, we'll get into this with the fit, but with KJ and, and Hunter at your four and five, um, that should be a good offensive rebounding team. One of the better ones that you've had in recent memory. Now he's a solid passer, especially for a big man. Um, there have been some other good passing big men in the Bill Self era, whether it's been Diedrich Lawson or Marcus Morris or Joel Embiid even, you know, had some good feel for it. Obviously, he's a better passer now than he was when he was at college. But like you've had some good passing big men. I mean, KJ Adams would apply to that, too, like a good passing big man, which that's fun, too, that you have two good passing big men next to each other. Going back to that uh, possible iteration of the four and five. And I guess, again, this is into the team fit stuff. But if they land McKenzie and Baco, who starts? Is it Mbako or KJ at the four? I don't know. I would lean toward KJ at least early in the season. Maybe by the end of the year, it could be Mbako. But nonetheless, either way, whether KJ is starting or not, he's playing a lot of minutes next to Hunter Dickinson. Nonetheless, um, he's a solid passer for a big. And that's so important. Uh, we're having Isaac Trotter from 24-7 Sports on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on Friday. And uh, he just wrote an article with 24-7 Sports about how Hunter Dickinson is this just like matchup passing nightmare for other teams and like the example he used was northwestern uh the basketball team who this year they they like changed up their defense and they became this like ultra aggressive um post trapping type team and it caused like a bunch of teams problems on post-ups like 
really low points per possession for opposing teams on post-ups. Yet Michigan beat them both times running an offense through the post with Hunter Dickinson because he is such a good passer. And so if you do double him, all of a sudden somebody's going to open up for three or somebody's going to open up somewhere else and he's going to find them because he has really good passing vision. Now he can stretch it a bit with his shot. 98th percentile in spot-up shooting. That's more limited than a lot of other guys who shoot a ton of shots. I think it was like 25 shots, but point is he's making them 42% from three. Yeah, low volume, 1.7 per game. He said in uh, some post-game quotes or some post-commitment quotes, I guess, um, that he wants to shoot it even a little bit more. And that should be good for KU. Like, you don't want him shooting eight threes a game where it's taken away from him being on the post, but KU needs shooting and you need to stretch the floor. So if he's taking three threes per game, I think that's a good thing for KU. And clearly he showed that he can make them. He's a good defender um, and a solid rim protector, or a good post defender, I should say. Good post defender, good solid rim protector. Uh, again, like 1.8 blocks per game this past year, 1.5 the year before, 1.4 the year before that. So, you know, about in line, if not better than like a David McCormick in terms of your uh, blocking ability. 66th percentile in post defense last year, 60th the year prior, 79th the year before that. So good post defender because he's strong, he's big, he's tough to go through. And keep in mind too, those numbers, that came in a big, heavy Big Ten. Right. Think about all the good big men that come through the Big Ten year in and year out. It is a big man driven league uh, over the past couple of years that he's gone against, whether it's Luca Garza or Kofi Coburn. Right. You go up and down the list. Uh, there's so many really good big men that have come out of the Big Ten that he has to deal with. So realistically, how many true bigs are there in the Big 12 right now? Not very many. And how many are if they're true bigs are like very good right now? Not very many. So in a way, he should be able to feast. Now, obviously, the big, the the worry, quote unquote, uh, the, the weakness, so to speak, is defending in space, and that's something you got to deal with. And defending pick and roll, he was in just the 19th percentile on synergy in pick and roll defense. Out of comparison, Oscar Shibway, who got a lot of flack for his pick and roll defense, was in the 41st percentile. I do think I test would favor Hunter Dickinson, though, if you're going just beyond the numbers there. And I think you see some stuff that um, Hunter Dickinson is a smart team defender. And sure, he's seven foot one, like 260 pounds. He's not going to be great in space. That's why he's not in the NBA right now. But even with all that included, he was still in the 63rd percentile in defense on synergy, which is good. It's above average. It's good, right? And so, yeah, you have a couple flaws here or there, but Bill Self is such a coaching wizard. I mean, David McCormick wasn't like a great space defender either. They figured it out. They ended up having, you know, his, uh, the 2020 to 21 season, uh, they ended up having like the number one defense over the last month of the year with David McCormick. And then the 21, 22 season, you won the title and you were like a top 15 defense that over the last like month, of the season was probably like top five. So I think they're going to be just fine with Hunter Dickinson, who probably is a better rim protector than Dave was and um, is a solid enough post defender. So th they'll figure it out. I'm not overly concerned with that. All right, let's finish up with this episode of Locked on Jayhawks in terms of how he fits at KU, in terms of the lineup, where it has some effects, and uh, how it changes up where they're being looked at nationally with Locked on Jayhawks. All right, finishing things up here. How much does Hunter Dickinson affect KU's lineup and their national title hopes? Well, I think that uh, if we start with the second part of this, they went from number nine to number one on Bart Torvik. They now have the number one offense, the number four defense. For what it's worth, if they had McKenzie and Baco, they would stay the number one offense, but the distance between them and second would move up a little bit more, and they would move up to the number three defense. Um, but this both raised the floor. Like You now have a go-to option that you feel like 
at least raise your floor of being like the Diedrich Lawson team. Like, I feel like that's the floor here. And it's possible you hit the floor. It's possible you hit the ceiling, right? But it raised your floor. Whereas before that, it's like, well, what if they don't have the shooting? What if they don't have a go-to score? What if this and that, right? Um, it also raises your ceiling. It raises your ceiling from before to where, you know, if you're the ninth best team in the country before having him, you still have a shot at winning the title if you're Kansas. So it doesn't raise the ceiling in terms of what your potential outcome is, but the chances of winning the title if you're the number nine team versus if you're the number one, two, or three team are vastly different. So it does raise your ceiling in terms of what you could be over the course of the season and your best chances of winning the national title. So it is a very clear difference for KU, and it would have been a difference too. It's not just about you know how it affected KU and made them go from number nine to number one. It would have given more competition for you to compete with if you would have been in another school. If you would have been in Kentucky, they would have been number one or number two on Torvik, I think from uh, number 10. Maryland would have gone from 26 to number eight, so they would have hopped you, you would have dropped the 10. Villanova would have gotten to number two. So it would have given you another team in front of you that you would have had to compete with in addition to not having him. So it's it's a very clear uh, college basketball tilting, altering move that was made. Now, as far as his role on the team, how this affects the KU lineup and everything, um, he'll obviously come in, be a starter. He'll be your starting center. So obviously that for Ernest Uday and Zuby Edgefer means that they're fighting it out for the backup center minutes. And, you know, Dickinson is not a center who is only playing, like this isn't Yudoka Azubuki where it's like, you're just hoping for 22 to 25 good minutes of him between conditioning and avoiding foul trouble and stuff like that like Dickinson avoids fouls uh because he is he, like he's a center who for Michigan's been on the floor for 32 minutes a game let's say though it's at 30 for Kansas I think ideally you look at the UConn path last year right Adama Sinogo plays in like the 26 to 28 minute range and they had Donovan Klingon who uh, looked like a first round pick he decided to come back and he normally Sinogo probably plays 30 32 minutes per game on a team but because Klingon was that good they had to get him on the court so he had to play 12 to 14 minutes a game. I think ideally, if Hunter Dickinson's playing 28 minutes a game because Ernest Uday or Zuby Edgefer has taken that next step and is that good, that's a good thing for Kansas, obviously. I think realistically, though, I'll just set it at like, let's say Dickinson plays 30 minutes a game. So you have 10 minutes for your backup center. Uh, Bill Self's probably not going to be like, hey, we'll play this guy six and the other guy four. He's probably going to want the one guy to play 10. And then if there is foul trouble or injuries or he's not playing well, maybe he will go to the other guy. Zuby was in front of Ernest headed into the Kentucky game before rolling his ankle. So maybe he can beat out Ernest in the summer. But Ernest really started to play better after from that moment on. Um, that gives you hopes he can be the guy. Now, who knows? Maybe this move coming in is going to make either of those or both of those unhappy. And we'll see if they end up sticking on the roster transferring out. That'll be something to monitor, but that's kind of how that affects the center position. Now, as far as KJ Adams, I think this makes it so that, you know, before, if, if Hunter Dickinson did not end up choosing Kansas, I was still under the assumption KJ was going to move to the four, but that maybe KJ would still give you five to eight to 10 minutes per game at the center, and then maybe give you like, I don't know, whatever, 15, 20 at the four position. I think now that you have Dickinson, and then you're going to eat up the rest of those minutes with Ernest or Zuby. I think there's no minutes for KJ at the five. I think all of his minutes are going to come at the four. And so your question with that is, is how are we going to, are we going to have enough shooting around it? Well, I think because you added these combo guards where you're going to be playing a lot of Dewan Harris on Marco Jackson, Arteria Morris, that gives you a really good defensive guards back to the conversation about Hunter Dickinson. Can he defend in space, the pick and roll? Well, guess what? You have three 
really athletic guards. And in the case of Morris and Harris, two proven good Big 12 defenders. In case of Harris, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year to help limit that stuff. That's going to limit penetration inside and going to really help you out there. Then in addition to that, that'll give you quick guards to deal with any possibly spacing issues, right? If they're sagging off people, those guards should be able to drive in. Then you have Nick Timberlake to get open threes. And because you have Hunter Dickinson, it'll raise everybody's game. If he's getting double teamed, we know Dewan Harris can hit open shots, set shots. So if he, if, if his guy is the double, Boom, he hits it. Nick Timberlake, same thing. They'll do a bunch of same side actions. Vartario Morris keeps improving as a shooter, right? You have ways to overcome it now. And I think with KJ Adams, too, what it'll provide is a good offensive rebounding team. So last season, KU was 179th in offensive rebounding rate. The year before when they won the title, they were 40th in the country in offensive rebounding rate. The Wings were really good at it. I think you get back closer to that. Now, if we go back to, I don't know, maybe some teams uh, earlier on, like in the self era, like the 2011 team with the Morris Twins was 16th in the country. The 2010 team was 22nd. The 2012 team was uh, 79th in offensive rebound rate. I think this will be a really good offensive rebounding team when you have KJ and Hunter Dickinson, and it'll be a good defensive rebounding team too. And to be clear, I mean, la- the, the championship team wasn't a great defensive rebounding team. They were, let's see, um, I think in the hundreds. Yeah, they were 196th on a defensive rebounding rate the year they won the title. So it's not a prerequisite, but it's better if you're good at stuff than you're not good at stuff, right? And so it was one thing for KJ to be your five where he would box out the other center but not be a great defensive rebounder and hope for other guys to get him. Now Dickinson can box out the five. KJ can attack the ball. Um, Dickinson can still get rebounds. This should be, I would imagine, a top 100 defensive rebounding team. So should be good rebounding there. And like I said, just having Dickinson it might raise the notch of um, the three-point shooting for every player by a percentage or two, right? Just getting a few more open looks because this guy is attracting so much for the defense inside and drawing doubles. And then I think KJ, too, I I think the way I view it, I remember Marcus Garrett at one point, it was his sophomore junior season before he started really shooting threes at a a more acceptable clip. Um, He got to a point where he would just, if you sagged off him, even if he wasn't comfortable taking the three, he would just take the sag off and say, okay, well, I'm just going to use it to get ahead of steam and I'm going to drive in and attack the basket. And I think KJ, we know is a good driver. And I think that's what he'll do. He'll use it to get ahead of steam and drive to the basket. But I still think there is a very real role for KJ Adams that he's going to still be a very effective player on this team. Now, if Mackenzie Mbako chooses KU, that muddles things up at the four position. How many minutes are you going to play? Is Mbako a better fit because of the shooting? I don't know, but KJ is still going to have a big role on this team no matter where it is, whether it's a starter or not. I do still expect him to start regardless, but like we just know KJ is a guy that Bill Self loves, and I love watching him play, and he'll figure it out. He has adapted every year he's been at KU. He'll continue to adapt here because he's probably the biggest one who's maybe affected by this outside of the other centers at uh, KU. So in the end, Bit of a long podcast here, but figured that was okay with Hunter Dickinson picking KU. That'll do it for this episode of Locked on Jayhawks. You can find us wherever you get any of your podcasts. Please subscribe to the show, iTunes, Spotify, you know, uh, all the jazz there. Or you can find us on YouTube. Subscribe to the show there. Give us a like if you could. We'll be back on Monday, maybe to recap a a weekend that was. I've been saying for a couple shows I want to get to a KU football one. Uh, Who knows what we'll get to on uh, Monday. But keep it locked in right here with Locked on Jayhawks today. Have a good rest of your weekend.